Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Let's pray. Father God, it is so easy to allow fear, anger, hatred to keep us off our knees. And I ask you today that you would drive us to our knees. Holy Spirit, I'm going to challenge the church just with your eyes closed. If you want to get on your knees, get on your knees. Just take a moment. Holy Spirit. We come in the holy posture of the Old Testament. Would you bring shalom? Would you bring shalom to Israel? Would you bring shalom to Ukraine? Would you bring shalom to Armenia. I ask you that as there are sides being drawn, lines being put into the sand, that we would be on our knees. And we would ask you to intervene. God, people are dying. And if they don't know you, they are going to hell. And that is the greatest travesty of all, is that the enemy is bringing such great confusion in our world that he is slaughtering your greatest creation, which is humanity. I ask you right now for your divine intervention. Amen. In the midst of all of this, there are good things happening as well. Uh, our daughter Becky had her little baby. So, so there's so many emotions going on as we deal with so many different people. She had a little boy. His name is Judah Noble. And uh, yeah, I feel like we're becoming like real grandparents having two now. We were young and we had one. It was like a novelty. Now it's like my brother's like, dude, you're in a different hemisphere. I'm like, I guess so. I don't know what that means, but I guess so. But we really, need to, we really do need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. And I would say that the greatest, the greatest tool that God has given the church um, is prayer. And the greatest body part that, the God, that God has given to humanity is our knees. So we can be on our knees and we can pray. Um, we are going to take a little break from a sermon series this week. Over the last five weeks, we've been going through a sermon series called Firm Foundations. We had talked about the five foundations, values of our church, that we are Christ-centered, Jesus and Jesus only. We are discipleship motivated. Our goal is that you would be learners and you'd be growing in your faith. We are spirit-compelled. The spirit compels us for life transformation. Amen? We are prayer-driven and we are multiplication-minded. Because when you look at the early church, that's the church. 
And you read all throughout Acts, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. These five core values. And what I love is that, that even though I am highly, you know, you hear the, the, the saying, ready, aim, fire. I'm usually like fire, ready, aim. Um, except for preaching. Preaching, it, it's a waiting game. It's waiting to make sure that whatever I speak on is, this, is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants the church to hear. And next week, we are going to talk about the one another's of scripture. There are over a hundred one another's. How we treat one another. Anyone need to learn how to treat each other? Right? Some of you left churches because of how they were treating each other. Um, So we're going to look at the four four core. The four core of the one another's. And they're all kind of like intertwined. But I really felt like today I was supposed to take a break. And to look at a passage Back in June, we had our national council. That's our denomination where, where all the clergy from across the United States gets together. And we go there for worship. We go there for training. We go there for preaching. We go there for voting. How many of us love voting on things? Anyone? Right? Not I, said the fly. Um, and yes, even in denominations, they try to smokescreen stuff. Trust me, we are all human and frail and broken. But God was awesome. God was awesome. The first night, our president, John Stumbo, uh, who's just a good dude, he's a good man, he spoke on a message. And after he preached, matter of fact, while he was preaching, my heart was like, there's something more here than just for the clergy. This message is for the plants at the right time. And I went to Pastor Andrew because he was with me because all licensed workers have to go. And I said, that message was from God through John to the plant. And so I've been chewing on it for some time. Perfect timing is always God's perfect work. And in that, I really felt like there was a word in here for all of us about Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider. <clears throat> and it's a word that we, we talk a lot about but I don't think we really understand it. And I believe Jehovah Jireh is a name that we embrace and we walk into and we walk through until we stand before the pearly gates of heaven. And I would say that there's so many areas in people's lives that they're willing to surrender except for a few, a few of them. Some things are easy and some things are not. And I think this whole idea of God's provision that God provides for me is something that we literally all at some place in all of our lives contend with. Do I get an amen? So what are you going to talk about, Pastor Rob? Yes, provisions. Do we trust God with everything? Do we trust God with our vocation? Do we trust God with our hearts? Do we trust God with our lives? Do we trust God with our finances? Does anyone need to stand up and walk out? I give you permission. It's okay. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. Matter of fact, I will say this. There are moments in services that the divine shows up. Even though I was preaching last sermon, the divine showed up. And I literally took a little break to use the boys' room. And I felt like God went, Something just shifted in you because you've been faithful to me. 
And my hope as a pastor is, yes, I want this church to just grow like crazy. And I believe it. But you know what I care about more than anything else? That you fall madly in love with Jesus. I'm serious. It doesn't matter how big this church gets. It doesn't matter what we do. All that matters is that you fall madly in love with Jesus. And falling madly in love with Jesus is learning that he is my Jehovah. Jehovah, my God. My God who Jireh provides. And I want to set this message up for you that each one of us, including myself, have been given an opportunity to allow God's spirit to do his deepest work in us as we step out and live by faith. So I want to thank John for the inspiration. I actually sent him an email a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'm doing this message. I want to thank you for how you had delivered it. There are parts of it that I will be using, but I want to thank you more importantly for how it is inspiring our church. So turn with me in 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 through 14. 1 Kings chapter 1, 1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 14. And I'm going to read through parts of this slowly because I want us to be able to hear some key language. Now Elijah, Elijah was a crazy prophet. Some of you probably think I'm a little crazy, huh? Right? I'm probably like uh, more Elijah than I am anything else. I believe in, in the craziness of God because I've seen the craziness of God do crazy things. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no, no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. This was for a season. God used a prophet to speak when the floodgates of heaven were turned back on. I think it's so interesting how this passage says that there will be no more rain, nor, what did it say? Do. Anyone have suede shoes, right? I remember the first time I got these new suede shoes, and I wore them for the first time to the plant about four weeks ago, and there was dew on the ground, and I forgot that dew is a natural part of the ecosystem, and I walked through and I ruined them, right? It's a bad day to wear suede. But we often forget that dew is part of God's design to take care of the earth. And Elijah didn't say that it wasn't only going to stop raining, but there would be no dew for several years. So God was going to clamp down and prove a point to this evil king. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. So who's going to bring him food? Does it say blue jays? Right? Or cute little sparrows? Like, like you'd be thinking like, no, it's like ravens, Rah! crazy ravens. Eat what the ravens bring you. For I have commanded them to bring you food. What did God do to the ravens? He what? Commanded. I told the ravens to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped outside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens 
brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed, everybody say that with me, I have instructed. He said, I have commanded, and then he says, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to eat it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will, everybody say it? Say it again? Die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the day when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So a little background. There was conflict. You get the first kings, you get the second kings, and you read about so many evil kings. And the prophets, their voice was to draw God's people back to obedience. That's what a prophet is. If you ever hear me say something really strong, it's not to prove a point, but rather from the pulpit, it's my desire that both you and I will live in the fullness and the obedience of God. And Elijah warned the kings, but the kings did not listen. And so God said, I'm going to leave, but tell the king this, no more rain until I give the word. And so Elijah goes and he camps out at Kareth Brook and God provides. And he provides in supernatural ways. I think one of the biggest problems in our world is that we've never been put in situations where we allow God to provide in supernatural ways. Have you? Have you ever been in a place that if God didn't show up, something really, really horrific was going to happen. I know that feeling. I know that feeling as a, <clears throat> a young husband, a young father, that we stepped out in faith. And we did everything God had asked us to, and it was almost like we were going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. And all I heard was God saying, keep doing what I asked you. 
Keep giving what I asked you. And let me provide. We were actually $12,000 in debt. And back in 90-something, that was a lot. And it's still a lot of debt. Do I get an amen? Who wants $12,000 of credit card debt? Give me a yay. And don't you dare say yay. And God supernaturally provided $24,000. He not only took over the debt, but he got us ahead of it. And as a young man, I was always thinking like, okay, God, when's the bubble going to burst? 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 And he kept saying, do not leave what I commanded you to do. It's pretty strong words, isn't it? And so what happened was Elijah was continuing on his journey. And as he continued on his journey, God said again, go to Zarephath. Not Zarephath, New Jersey, where they do all the concerts, right? That's a different Zarephath, right? That used to be like the Christian Mecca where everyone would go to all the Christian concerts, right? Zarephath music, right? Zarephath's on the radio. Um, but he said, when you go there, I have instructed a widow to provide for you. So when you hear that word instructed, as, as I read over this time and time again, I'm like, wow. He commanded the ravens, and he gave instructions before anyone ever did anything. And so Elijah, he went, and he went and he trusted that God was going to provide. You see, the first and hardest act of faith is trusting when God has commanded you to do something, and you do it obediently, and he supernaturally shows up. That is like the greatest stinking day of your life. I'm serious. When you are in a situation, I'm so, am I getting loud? I feel like I'm getting loud. I need like a chair and just like sit on a stage. When you, when you learn, let's talk. When you learn to trust God, that very first time, It's better than falling in love. And you know how much I am in love with that one over there. What's up? <laughs> it's better than any Christmas gift, that, that first bike you got. Because you realize like, wow, the creator of heaven has me. And Elijah went on this journey where he was trusting and trusting and trusting and trusting and trusting. And then he says, I've, God says, I've instructed. In other words, I've already planned all this out. I've instructed a widow who will provide a meal for you. And so he goes in obedience. And when he goes, he's put in a situation where he and this woman get to live in a place of expectancy or reluctancy. Think about that. Whenever I share something with you that's a little bit probably more than you wanted to hear, there's either this like, yeah. Remember a couple weeks ago, jump up and down if it's really true. And like everyone's like, who's going to jump up first? Right? Remember that? And then all of a sudden, Kathy Hagen jumps up and down, and everyone's like, okay, follow Kathy. But, but there's this idea of expectancy, meaning this, anticipating what was told will actually happen. 
reluctancy, a lack of eagerness or willingness to lean in. And I find it so interesting that God had taken the most vulnerable individual, a widow, and told Elijah, I have instructed her, what you talking about, Willis, right? Does she even know this, right? To provide a meal for you. And when he asks her, there is a real reluctancy in her voice. What was she doing? Gathering sticks. What were these sticks for? Starting a fire to make bread for the last meal that her and her son would have. And you wonder that, that, that fear and that anticipation of Elijah, like, come on, God, at some place this is not going to work. Come on, God, at some point someone's going to say no. Come on, God, like how many awkward situations are you going to put me in that I'm going to have to learn to trust you? I thought you already know that I trust you. I trusted the crazy ravens. But when he commands it, when he asks for it, I love how the woman says, your God. Because she knew something about Elijah and what Elijah was asking her was something bigger than herself. You see, when you look at this passage, there was probably expectancy and reluctancy on both parts. Elijah and the widow. But one of the things that I love about this passage is that we all, are invited. Matter of fact, let me change that word. We all are commanded. Matter of fact, let me add another word. We are all instructed to allow God to be Jehovah, my God. That's all Jehovah means. Who Jireh provides for me. And when you look at the situation, both individuals could have said no to God. Elijah could have sat near the brook and said, I'm done. This journey of faith is over. I'm going to sit here until another raven comes. I'm going to sit right here until another raven comes. But if he sat there, he would have missed out on the hand of God. And then you have that widow, and that widow could have said, uh-uh, one Last meal for my son and I. But when you look at that passage, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops to grow again. In other words, there is tragedy that's happening. And God will provide all the way through. But once the rain comes, he'll provide in a different means. 
And what we do is oftentimes we believe because we trusted God one time that he invited us for one step of faith that we miss out on all the other opportunities that he puts in front of us. Expectancy, reluctancy. I can only give stories for myself. I'll never forget, again, being a young couple. We moved back to New Jersey. And as we moved back to New Jersey, we had a friend of ours who was going through just a horrific situation. Got involved with addiction. He had to sell his house. His family had to move back in with his in-laws. And he had nothing. I mean, this dude grew up with millions. And it was all gone. And I remember driving by his in-law's house and the Holy Spirit said, $900. Give him $900. And I'm thinking like, I don't have $900. And you want me to give him $900? That dude just ruined his father's business and he should be giving me $900. You see, that's not how I reacted. I said, okay, what's next? And I called him up. I said, hey, man, I got to meet with you. Let me drive to your house. Let's meet somewhere. I forgot where we met. And I gave him $900 cash. And it was a huge step of faith for us as a couple. And I felt like God said, just give and don't expect Just give and don't expect. God showed up. About nine months later, God did a crazy work in this man's life. He says, I need to meet you. And he said, you're the only one, the pastor, who helped me out financially. And he gave me $1,400. How cool is that? I'm like, dude, I gave you 900. He's like, no, 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 no. This is what I'm supposed to give you. And I'll be honest with you, like, like when you start following Jesus in every single area of your life, you allow God to bring bread and meat from crazy, spooky birds. You allow God to do things that you never, ever imagined. You let God open up doors in ways that actually causes you to live in a place of anticipation of what's next? What's next? What's next? If you are in your 20s and 30s, this might be the most important message you could ever hear. Because how you're living your faith right now will determine the trajectory of how you are living your faith when you are a grown human being. Because right now you're just having fun. And there's this place, but when you look at this whole prophetic word and this whole prophetic message, everything was reliant on taking a step of faith. Everything hinges on taking that step of faith. And I believe that we live in this world 
that we have missed out on truly allowing God to do his best work. Because I'm going to say this, and I really want you to hear me. God does his best in our greatest places of vulnerability. God does his best in our greatest places of vulnerability. You've heard all the stories. You've seen it on ESPN. You've seen it on the news. That when people have come to a place of surrenderance, they open the door for themselves to be ready for whatever God has best. You see, here's the greatest enemy we have right now. The greatest enemy of God's invitation to each one of us is fear. What is fear? It's an emotional reaction, response to to a threat, to a person, to an event. Fear is that distressing emotion aroused by what we define as impending danger, evil, pain, whether the threat is real or imagined. Do you know most of our fears? They say over 90% of our fears are not real. And what we do is when we live in a place of fear, we instill in almost a personality, which so many of us have battled with, of anxiety that push us into a place of self-protection. Self-protection. To act in one's own interest and strength with an attempt to protect oneself. To act in one's own interest as an attempt to protect ourselves. But here's the problem with self-protection and fear. In our attempt to protect us, we actually put ourselves in a place of isolation and miss out on experiencing what God has next for us. Do you know the greatest miracle that happened on the face of this earth was missed by 11 men. 11 men out of fear and self-protection missed out on the greatest miracle. It was Saturday evening. Jesus was put to death. He was in the tomb. And Jesus proclaimed multiple times, I'm going to be risen in three days. Just step back and watch. Watch what I've already commanded will happen. Watch what I've already instructed to happen. And what do they do? In fear and isolation, they missed out on the greatest miracle. That when they went to the tomb that next morning, what did they do? The majority of them ran away in fear. To the point that when Jesus was standing right next to them, they didn't even recognize. And I honestly believe that we miss out on God's greatest opportunities and blessings because of fear and self-protection. 
I really believe that. And what I'm saying is, is that we've allowed the way we handle our finances to miss out on the blessings of God. Do you know that? Jesus talks more against the sin of wealth, not money, the sin of wealth than any other sin. And we know he talks against sin because when we have sin in our lives, we don't stand properly before God. But he speaks more against wealth because wealth steals dependency on God. But let me share this with you. I know some really, really wealthy people that have learned to have the attitude of being poor in spirit. Meaning their dependency is not on what they've created, but their dependency on God has been created so deep that every single thing they have, they know belongs to God. And I love in this passage that that jumps out to me more than anything else is this whole idea of expectancy versus reluctancy. And I truly believe that if we, the church, including myself, will continue to wait on how God wants to be Jehovah, we are going to see God's greatest acts come to fruition. And we are the only ones who steal. You hear what I'm saying? We are the only ones who steal the opportunity for God to surpass all we ever could imagine. I love this past spring. Matter of fact, last fall. And again, I'm sharing my stories because it's not my place to share your stories. Last fall, Sue had said, she's like, I'm done. I'm done in the school system. God's going to provide. I don't know what this looks like, but he's going to provide. I'm like, all in. And Sue was going to take a huge risk. She was, getting a, she was going to lose a really nice salary that finally kept us above water. She was going to lose insurance that everything was $10, like you rip off your arm, $10. Like you, any, anything you happen, it's like 10 bucks. You go to the emergency room, 10 bucks, right? A- ambulance, 10 bucks. Everything was $10. All you had to do was walk around with like a, like a wad of 10s and, and you were good. Anything can happen. It's like 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Um, but she really felt in her, her heart that God was instructing her to leave the school system. And instructing her that she was going to, she said to me, God will provide. I said, okay, all in. Let's set them up again. Because if God instructs, God follows through. Of course, the day she quits and the day she starts here, all of our plumbing goes out, literally out the window. (laughs) 
get hit with a crazy tax bill, all these things. And about a week prior to that, I said to her, I said, we're not changing our giving. We're not. She's like, what do you mean? I said, God has told me we are not changing what we do for people. And she's like, okay, all in. God has done more in the last three weeks in giving him a simple yes in this season of life. Ways that I can't even dream up, like ravens coming from the sky and providing for us in ways that we had this heavy bill, but it's almost all gone. Not by side work, which I do a lot of, not by this, not by that, not by all these things, but by God showing up. You see, when we step out in faith, what we do is we give Jesus our yes and we activate the divine in our life. I love what it says here in verse 15 through 16. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Remember what the promise was? If you feed the prophet, I will provide for you until the rains come. And so the rains came several days later, and during those days, they ate every morning and every evening. And every time she put her hand in in, in the bowl, there was flour. And every time she poured over the olive oil, there was always enough. And then it just stopped, and then she would go back at night, and she would put her hand in the jar, and she would pour the oil, and then it would stop. And then the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and God did everything he said he would do. Have we ever, let me sit down and say this. Have we ever lived in a place where we truly allow God to do everything he said he will do? Jehovah Jireh, he provides. I think this is the biggest sin of the church today. Think about those engaging in the gospel. Those who are vitally concerned about their faith. 16% of Americans are concerned about their religious orientation. It's not 16% of Americans are concerned about their faith in Jesus. I mean, think about that. 30% of Americans go go to a religious gathering once a month. That struck some of you pretty hard because I got a text message from someone who I would have never thought of said, can you give me that statistics again? I'm like, isn't this crazy? He's like, yeah, this is crazy. In eight years, we went from 60% people going to religious services once a month to 30% going to religious services once a month. And that's not even talking about Bible-believing churches. That's between us and the temple and the synagogue and here, 30% of Mawa individuals go to church once a month. And I believe that one of the greatest things that we have missed out is on truly learning how God is Jehovah, my God, who likes to gyra, provide. 
And I love when I, when I look at all of these, these examples of, of Elijah and this widow. And it's funny because you read 2 Kings chapter 4 and you read Mark chapter 12 and you read 1 Kings chapter 17. And for some reason, God always uses the most vulnerable people to do the most extraordinary things. You know that? Widows. And what does Jesus say true religion is? Take care of orphans and widows. And yet God is calling all of us to this deeper work, that in this deeper work, that when we follow him, we allow him to do the supernatural work in our lives. Abraham, God said, go sacrifice. Go make a sacrifice. Take your son and sacrifice. God was not going to let him slaughter his son, but Abraham in his humanity was like, I'm just going to be obedient. Noah, dude, go build a boat. You don't even know what it is, but go build a boat. And he's like, okay, I'll build a little Boston Whaler. And he's like, no, go build a Titanic that won't sink, right? Go build something that's going to take forever to build. Okay, I'm going to do it, right? The Israelites traveled for 40 years and their meals were always provided for. And then there comes a point where they get in front of the sea and all of a sudden it's like, God, are you going to show up? You brought us to the desert to what? Die. I think we have limited God. That God is like this evil, evil father that sets us up to bring us to the wilderness to die and to shame us. No. As we journey in our faith, we go into the wilderness so that God can do his best work. Because it's in the wilderness that we learn complete dependency on him. Dude, my credit score, I just said dude, sorry about that. It's because I was, I was sitting down. I'm saying this because this is surprising to me. My credit score jumped 100 points. Really? And all I've learned to do is just be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. This morning, my, my, my phone's dinging. Ding, ding, ding. You know, give to the plant. I gave to the plant. Why? Because I want God to show up. A year ago, God challenged us. Hey, there's a lot of struggling pastors out there. Every month, choose one pastor and send them to dinner. Send them 100 bucks. I don't really got a hundred bucks. Send a hundred bucks. Bless Joe. Bless Cliff. And every month that whoever God put on our heart, Sue and I just said, here's your loaf of bread. Because I want to live in a place of complete dependency on God. And it has been the most rockiest road, but it's like going four-wheeling in a really awesome Jeep where God takes us on an adventure that we never thought would happen. We're on E, 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 clunk, clunk, clunk. Wow, God shows up. And I really believe that we've missed this. I really believe we've missed this. I want to end with this. You know I don't shy away from the tough stuff. I think that's why a lot of people like love us for a while and leave us. 
Because remember I said that there's times I'll, I'll speak out of the prophetic. Meaning this, the prophetic is a word that God is saying, how are you living and are you living in alignment with me? And if you want to go to that deeper place, then you have to live in alignment with me. And as I look at this, I'm saying, how am I living? And then he says, how are you living? Now invite them to live that way too. And when I look at this passage, there's three things that just like scream at me. Again, my biggest dream, human dream, is when you're driving up Route 17, there's a sign that says, the plant. Or if you're driving to New York, it says, the plant, and there's an arrow pointing. I would love that. How fun would that be? How fun. At the end of the day, none of that matters. All that matters is that you are madly in love with Jesus, and you are running with Jesus. And there are times that you're just like, let's keep going, let's keep going. And then there's times it's like, Holy shnikes, what is God asking me to do? Am I willing to respond? And I really believe there's three things in this passage that Jesus is inviting myself along with each of you to do. And this summer is such a great example. I'm so proud of her. That she says, I'm only following Jesus are you coming with me? That's a good place to be in marriage. You see, God instructed Elijah and he instructed the widow. In other words, I'm going to instruct them and if they say yes to me, I will do what I promised. And I believe we take God's instructions kind of like playing like cards. Uh, give me three other ones. Right? Playing poker. Here, I'm going to try to couple in. Give me some other cards. I like these cards better. And we live this life that like, we kind of like trade things in and we, we only want to do what God invites us, that we want God to invite us into. And God's like, that's not how I work. God says, all of me for all of you. That's it. And I think a lot of people think they're walking around in the light when they're actually living in a place of darkness. But... When God instructs something, it means it's going to happen. And when he instructs us, we can have two different responses, expectancy or reluctancy. I want to live in a place that I'm ready for God to do what's next. I want to free myself up and I want you to be so free even with your finances that you allow God to use you for kingdom work more than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. He's meddling. I'm meddling because the Holy Spirit meddles with me every day of my life. God instructed so if God instructs, that means God's going to follow through. And the problem is, have we, including me, put ourselves in situations that allow God to do his best work? The biggest one for me was, I was driving down Route 80. I had another opportunity. This was, you know, pre-plant. I've shared this story before. 
was potentially going to step out in faith and leave New Jersey. And God said, if you leave New Jersey, you're sinning. I've instructed you to stay. And I probably could have gone to wherever that was and I could have played the pastor game and done all the great things and set all these things up, but I would have been out of the will of God. I don't want to be out of the will of God. Sometimes God's paths seem the hardest, yet because his burden is light, they're the best. God instructed. Humanity's obedience We can read the Bible a thousand times. We can hear the voice of God a thousand times. But the question is, are we going to obey? The prophet says it's better to obey than to sacrifice. You see, the difference is is attitude, right? Obedience, sacrifice. They both did the same thing, but obedience is saying, hey, I'm all in. Let's figure this out. This is going to be crazy. Lots of bumps in the road, have no idea what's going to happen. Sacrifices, God, look what I did for you. Look what I did for you. Really? He's like, look what I did for you. Look what I did for you. And so there's this tension. I want to challenge you. Obedience. I really believe something is shifting in me. To go to that deeper place of obedience so God can do his best work. And I'm inviting you into that place of obedience. And then lastly, God's faithfulness. The divine often comes after activated faith. When God instructs, we respond, the divine is activated. When God instructs, and we respond, respond, the divine is activated. I really believe that in the middle of what we are calling a recession or whatever it is, and I did not say this at the last service, so I trust whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in this room. I believe right now God is inviting all of us, including Pastor Rob, to trust him as provider. And we trust him as provider as we give back that which he's given to us. I want to challenge you. Don't live in a place of excess But in your current place, trust that as you trust God with your finances, God will have that wheat and that oil. And for all of you who are under the age of 35, and I'm not going to make you stand up, but mostly you're sitting on this side over here. Sorry, older people. I'm just joking. I'll stand in the middle. I want to challenge you. Learn it now. Learn it now. Let God wow you. Let God do his best work in his deepest way now. And I will not shy back from this because this is where I've learned dependency upon God. 
We've only lived on fixed income. We've only lived in nonprofit. And yet God is my Jehovah Jireh. And he provides in ways that no human being can. And I'm excited that in my 50s, I don't have to worry. Because he who takes care of the birds takes care of me. He who creates the valleys provides for me. And I really believe this is a prophetic day. God wants to be your provider. Amen? Amen. Let's invite the band to come up. May I have a communion cup? I apologize for giving stories of myself, but at the same time, I don't want to use anyone else's stories. See, when we give ourselves away, we make room for God to do his best work. Because when Jesus gave himself away, we had the opportunity to gain eternity. Let's eat together. Elijah was able to trust the holy nudge. The spirit compelled push because the spirit of God was the one who was compelling him. Jesus gave us the cup and saying that I am with you always. Let's drink. Holy Spirit, I ask you this morning no guilt, no shame. My prayer is inspiration. I thank you that even during the service in between, you were telling me it's next. It's next. I give you permission to do your best work in me. And God, if no one stands with me, you stand with me. That's all I need to know. I ask you that we would be a church that is not lip service to Jehovah Jireh, but our life services to Jehovah Jireh. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.